0: is truly amazing. Thank you for your grace because you have brought us this far. Now Lord we pray for the proclamation of this word that you would use it for your satisfaction. May you be glorified your people blessed in Jesus name. Amen. Once again the second chapter of uh, the ninth chapter of second Samuel uh, that was read by uh, Pastor Harris, I want to just read several of those verses again, beginning with verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servants do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micaiah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit and I solicit your prayers from the subject when God is for you. When God Is for you. The story of David and Jonathan is one of the most intriguing stories of friendship found in the annals of biblical history. David was anointed the second king of Israel, while Jonathan, on the other hand, was the son of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Because David was destined to become the second king of Israel, God set the stage for his rise to power by allowing him to kill Goliath, a nine-foot giant from Goth. From the day David killed Goliath, his military victories increased as well as his popularity with the people. Saul grew increasingly jealous of David and insecure with David's presence. Saul's jealousy of David did what jealousy often does. That is it turned into rage which drove Saul's passion to kill David on numerous occasions. Yet in the middle of the mess In the midst of the tension, filled drama between Saul and David, a most unusual friendship developed between David and Saul's oldest son, Jonathan. In fact, it was Jonathan who went to David in 1 Samuel 19 and 1 and said to David, look, David, my father is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. Then, while David was in hiding, Jonathan went to his father Saul and s- attempted to reason with him concerning David's loyalty. And Jonathan spoke well of David in 1 Samuel 19:4 and 5. This is what he said: Let not the king sin against his servant, against David. Because he has not sinned against you. And because his work has been very good towards you. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. You remember, Saul, how this young man took his own life in his hands to defend you. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel. And you saw it and you were glad. Then David asked this penetrating question. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David for killing him for no reason? Is there anybody here that knows what it feels like trying to convince one person that their hatred or anger or desire to harm another person it's not warranted. All right. Have you ever been there trying to convince somebody that their hatred for somebody else is not warranted? It's not a good thing? Have you ever tried to talk someone out of wanting to fight someone else or hurt someone else or destroy somebody's family or destroy somebody's reputation or destroy somebody's career when there was absolutely no reason for them to do so? Have you ever tried to talk someone out of those type situations? Well, if so, you can identify with Jonathan. That's what Jonathan was up against. But no matter what he said on David's behalf, Saul's warped, wrangled, deranged and deprived and Insecure man was made up to destroy David at all costs. No matter what Jonathan said, Saul's man was made up to annihilate David whatever it caused. But because God was for David, Jonathan's love for David, his loyalty towards David, his friendship with David grew greater and greater. Jonathan modeled what godly love for a brother or sister is all about. What a tremendous model of brotherly love. It's about having a friend. You can trust. Yeah. It's about having someone close to you. Sticking by you through thick and thin. It's about Jonathan Motto It's about one who will stand up for you. Even if it means standing against their own blood relatives. When they know right and your cause is right. It's about having your brother's back or your brother having your back. Even if it means his attackers will turn on you. That's brotherly love. That's where Jonathan was. Even though Saul would turn on him he had David's back Because David was right. That's godly love. Jonathan modeled Christ-like brotherly love. So as the drama unfolds in chapter 20, David is a fugitive. He's now running for his life. And again, he meets with his friend Jonathan, pours out his heart in desperation, saying to Jonathan, What have I done? Can you imagine his passion, his his plea, his cry? Have you ever been there? What have I done? Maybe to a supervisor who is on your trail for no good reason. What have I done? Maybe it's a family member who has it out for you, and you ask the question: what have I done? Sadly enough, even in the church. Maybe you have had to say, what have I done to a neighbor, to a one-time friend who no longer wants you around? What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father does nothing great or small without confiding in me. He doesn't make a move without telling me. So why would he hide this from me? If he was really out to get you, why would he keep this a secret from me? It's just not so. But David said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Jonathan says, oh yes, David says, your father knows. But the reason he's not telling you is that he does not want you to be upset over the matter. Yet as sure as the Lord lives and as you live, There's only one step between me and death. But Jonathan said, whatever you want me to do, that's a friend. Jonathan said, I hear you talking and I feel your pain and I know what your concern is. But whatever you want me to do. Oh, thank God for those kinds of friends. I know what you're going through. I I feel your pain. I can identify with you whatever you want me to do, Jonathan said, I will do. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. Notice the words of the covenant in verses 14 and 15. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live and do not cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. With that, David lays out the plan for his escape from Saul. And then Jonathan goes home to to Saul and avails the plan. Now notice in verses 30 to 33 of the text, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't you know you have sided with the son of Jesse? At this point, Saul is so full of fury with David until he cannot even bring himself to mention David's name. It's in the text. Don't you know you have sided with the son of Jesse? to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now sin and bring him to me, for he must die. But why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father but Saul hurled a spear at him to kill him. Now knowing for certain that his father intended to kill David, Jonathan gets up and he goes back to David and sets David's escape plan into motion. Then in verse 42, David and Jonathan say farewell for the last time. Verse 42 states, Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Neither one of them knew that this would be their last conversation. Neither one of them knew that just chapters later, Jonathan would lose his life, but they made this covenant. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to town. And from chapters 20 to 30, David is fighting battles and running for his life. In chapter 31, both Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. David gets the word of their death, and David mourns. Now in chapter 9, David has become king of Israel. He is powerful. He's prominent. He is predetermined by God to become the greatest king of Israel. He is now God's unprecedented, undisputable, undeniable, heavyweight champion of the world. But he has a tremendous burden on his heart. Stay with that burden is he has. David has an insatiable appetite, an uh, in, unquenchable thirst, an unsatisfiable longing to fulfill a promise he made to his friend Jonathan. That thing just wouldn't let him go. He. He apparently thought about it during the day. He, he apparently thought about it at night, but it was in him. He could not get away from it. And so, chapter 9 begins with David asking Is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Isn't that amazing! Is there anybody left from the house of my enemy, from the house of Saul who tried to kill me? Is there anybody left of Saul's house to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul named Ziba who informed David that Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth living in in a place called Lodabar, who was lame in both feet. And as it turned out, when Mephibosheth was five years old, news came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, and Mephibosheth's nurse picked him up and began to run with him, running for safety, but in her haste, he fell and became lame, Second Samuel 4 and 4. So was David sent and had him brought from Lodabar. And when Mephibosheth came to David, he bowed to pay him honor. David said to him, don't be afraid. I will surely show honor for the sake of your father, Jonathan. In verse 8, Mephibosheth said to David, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? The phrase means worthless and despised. Look at me. Look at my so-called disability. What do I have to offer the king? Then David called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and his sons are to farm the land and bring in the crops so that Mephibosheth will be provided for. In addition, the grandson of your master, get this, will always eat at my table. I'm trying to talk a little bit this morning about when God is for you. So verse 11 states, so Mephibosheth eats at King David's table like one of his sons. Verse 13, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was crippled in both feet. Now there are three things from this text I want to point out to us this morning that happens when when God is for you. First, when God is for you, He aligns you with the right allies. That is, when God is for you, God puts the right people in place to help you accomplish all he has in mind for you to accomplish. Notice chapter 20, verse 4, Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. In other words, God gave David an ally in the form of the king's son who would lay down his life In order to help David succeed. Are you with me? That's something only God can do. Now, in the flesh, Jonathan's mindset could have been, I'm the king's oldest son. I'm next in line to be the king of Israel after my father Saul's tenure is done. But because God was in the mix, because God was with David, because God gave David favor with Jonathan, yes, Jonathan was passionate yeah. about seeing David succeed. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe on your job or at school that there was someone who was passionate about seeing you succeed. You see, whenever God is for you, he puts people in place, places people in our lives to help us accomplish all that God planned for us to accomplish. Take Jackie Robinson, for example. Jackie Robinson was a great baseball player. Yet history reveals there were other players from the old Negro Baseball League, the old Negro League, who were just as good as Jackie Robinson was. If you read the history, there were other players. There were many superstars, other people who were just as good as Jackie Robinson. But God gave Jackie favor with Brooklyn Dodgers owner Branch Richie. to the point that Rickey took a chance on Robinson at all costs and against all odds and turned things around for Robinson, for Major League Baseball, and for the nation. No matter where you look in history, you'll find God, Turning things around and aligning his people with the right allies to help them accomplish his purposes and his plans for their lives. Think about it. No matter how good you are, God placed the right people in your life at the right time in the right positions to help you get. To where you are today. Second, when God is for you, your setbacks are transformed into setups. Second Samuel 4.4 records Mephibosheth's setback. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. What a tremendous setback. What a debilitating blow. What a difficult situation for the grandson of a king to be placed in. One day, he had access to the king's palace by birthright, at least naturally speaking. But the next day, he and his family were fugitives. What a setback. To one day, he's royalty. The next day, he's running for his life. Well, setbacks come to all of us. At some point in life, no matter who we are, no matter what our titles are, no matter how holy we are, no matter how many worship services we attend, how many Bible studies we attend, no matter how much we try to do the right thing, setbacks will come to all of us at some point in our lives, and often it has nothing to do with our behavior. Maybe for some, it's a failed marriage or unexpected pregnancy. Maybe it is the loss of a job or, or a career. Maybe it is forced into early retirement. Or maybe the setback comes in the form of the death of a loved one. No matter how defined on an individual basis, setbacks are inevitable aspects of human life. But here's the good news God is a loving God. God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God. God is a forgiving God who has unique ways of turning things around for those who place their trust in Him. For those who say yes. Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Yes, Lord, I will trust you and obey. When the Spirit speaks to me in my whole heart, I'll agree, and my answer will be yes. yes. Lord, yes. yes. When we say yes to Jesus, He has a way of restoring, as Joel two twenty five puts it: the years the locusts have eaten away. You see, Mephibosheth's setback was transformed into a set-up which brought triumph out of tragedy so that somebody in the house today can see that no matter how hard the road you've had to hold and no matter how long it takes, God will take care of you. Won't he do it? Won't God fix it for you? Is there anybody in the sanctuary today who waited on the Lord and he came through for you? Chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Then the king summoned Ziba. Stay with me here. Saul served and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land, get this, for him. And bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Don't be dismayed. Whatever the Bible teaches us, this story teaches us that God will take care of you through every day. Oh, all the way. God will take care of you. And then, third, when God is for you, your victory is inevitable. That means your victory is certain. That means when God is for you, your victory has got to come. That means if you're still waiting, don't give up. If you're still waiting, don't give out. If you're still waiting, don't give in. Don't throw in the towel because victory is on the way. It's got to come. Though it tarry, it's got to come. It may not look like it's coming. You may not feel like it's coming. But if this book that I'm preaching from is right, and if this story about Mephibosheth and Jonathan and David is true, and I know that it's right, and I know that it's true, victory has to come. Paul says it like this in Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Paul says victory is coming. God is working. It may not look like it. You may not be able to see it, but God is always at work around us, and victory is coming. Notice Mephibosheth's victory in verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continuously it's one thing to have a one time invitation from the king but to be continuously at the king's table is a whole different story it's one thing to get one invitation from one so called important person but to be in their presence continuously is a different story it was a long time coming But Mephibosheth's victory came. Verse 13 declares, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continuously at the king's table. And don't miss this. And he was lame in both feet. Man, that thing jumped all over me. How is that for victory? He was lame in both feet, y'all. But he was at the table. He was once a fugitive, but now he's got the victory at the table because God is with him. He was once a failure, all seemed lost, but now he's at. with him, that's what Jesus does for us those who trust in him, he gives us an invitation to join his family and to dine at his table with all of our faults and flops and flounders and failures he says you will eat at my table To dine at his table, to get the victory over sin, death, and hell. He said in John 10.10, I come that they may have life, put your name in there, and have life more abundantly. To receive Jesus is to go from the howling wilderness of Lodabar, from the most decrepit of human conditions. Fault flounders and flopping. All to the king's table. Jesus says come to me. All who are weary. And burdened down. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. So at his table. Life is sweet. At his table, blessings abound. At his table, joy abounds. At his table, because God is for us, irregardless of what you hear or what you see, we have the victory. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind. Victory today is mine. God is for you. You've got the victory. And as my grandmother used to say years ago, she'd say, Boy, when God is for you, He's more than the whole world against you. I went through life believing that in a military career, overseas believing that, and even as a pastor believing that when God is for you, he's more than the whole world against